We stood neath a debt we could never repay. Never. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Where sin abounds, there does grace much more abound. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And that mercy comes to us only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Not religion, not morality, not church going, nothing of what I have done. It's all found in Jesus Christ and trusting in Him alone. Now, we got an interesting passage this morning and we could tackle it in many ways and I'm sure there are many, many sermons. Some might take uh, each name week by week and go through it. I think that would be a very difficult task because with many of these characters mentioned, we know nothing about them at all. And yet they're found in the human lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at history here. We're given Jesus' age when he starts his earthly ministry. It's not that he'd been doing nothing for the previous 30 years. We're told he's about 30 years of age. Anybody around that sort of age now? Uh, I used to be around that sort of age. Now it's been doubled and a few more added to it as well. But Jesus began his earthly public ministry where people saw him and heard him and touched him and interacted with him. He was about 30 years of age. The date? Around AD 26. We can work that out from the history that Luke gives us in his account of Jesus' life. Uh, Luke was a careful historian. Uh, he says, Theophilus, I've carefully researched these things. He gives names, he gives situations, and we can work out it's around 26 AD. We're looking at history. Uh, this unique person, Jesus Christ, divided time in two. It's 2023 AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, all because of these events that took place. Now, time wasn't reset straight away when Jesus Christ was born and lived and died. It was a little later on. The effect that under God's powerful spirit, the early church had on this planet, uh, huge swathes of the world being conquered for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then time was reset. It would have been in the third or fourth century that this date was set. Now, uh, to try to eradicate Christianity from the thoughts of uh, men, women, children, and young people on planet Earth today, uh, the dating system has been changed from 2023 AD to um, the 2023 CE, the Common Era. And uh, then we have BCE, before the Common Era. But why is it the Common Era? Well, it's all because of him, Jesus Christ. About 30 he begins his public ministry. In the Old Testament, uh, Joseph would have been around 30 when he became uh, second to Pharaoh in Egypt. David was around 30 when he became king over Israel. Priests were around 30 
when they took up the office of priests in Israel. Jesus was a young man. He never became an old man. I've had the privilege, is it the privilege, of becoming an old man? Well, getting there uh, anyway. Some of you are older than me. Jesus never became an old man. At the age of 33, his life was cut off from this planet, crucified on a cross outside Jerusalem. But as he said he would, he rose again from the dead. He is unique. He conquered death. He rose again. And in him we can know that we will rise again. So he's around 30 years of age when he begins his public ministry. And now we're given at the end of Luke's gospel, Luke inspired to write these things down, his family line. There's a a well-known TV series and uh, we're often fascinated to have a look at it. uh, Who do you think you are? And famous people are are brought in and genealogists uh, sit them down and take them through their family history. Uh, Some have got uh, great surprises there. One that sticks in my mind was uh, uh, Danny Dyer, the actor, and uh, from the East End of London, who delving back into his family line, eventually found that he came from the line of Edward III, King Edward III, and he hasn't stopped talking about it ever since. The family line of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's uh, wonderful the way it's positioned here. Straight after verse 22 in Luke chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus Christ, where a voice comes from heaven and says this, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Jesus Christ, who is he? He is the eternal son of God, God of God, light of light, one being, God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the second person of the one triune God who for our poor sakes is sent by the Father. He leaves the glory of heaven and he comes to this planet and he really is one of us. Fully human, yet still fully divine. In the one person, Jesus Christ, we have two natures. Fully divine, this is my son. Fully human, here now is his lineage, all the way back to Adam. He truly is one of us. The Father having declared his divinity, now Luke is inspired to write down his humanity for us. And here it is. Now Jesus himself began his ministry about the age of 30 years, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, and so the lineage goes down. Now, I don't want to spend much time on this, but just to mention it in passing. Matthew has an ancestry for the Lord Jesus Christ, as does Luke. Between Matthew and Luke... There are substantial similarities. In fact, they're exactly the same from David, King David, back down to Abraham. But from David up to the Lord Jesus Christ, there are uh, differences. Another difference is this. 
that Matthew starts with Abraham in his lineage. And Matthew is really uh, speaking to a Jewish audience. Luke takes his account all the way back to Adam. Because Luke is a gospel showing us that the gospel is for the whole world. And that's good news for us here in Wales. It's not just for the Middle East, not just for Israel. The gospel is for the whole world, for God so loved the world. But when it comes to those differences from David up to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd recommend if you want to know more information about the differences that are there, and they, re they are real differences, then read a good commentary. Uh, someone like Hendrickson uh, gives a very, very cogent, helpful outline. Suffice to say, I'm happy with this, that Matthew takes the line from David down Joseph's line. Luke is inspired to take Mary's lineage. Both go back to David and then to Abraham and then all the way back, of course, to Adam. But Matthew is taking Joseph's lineage Luke is taking Mary's lineage, and both are coming to that conclusion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, again, this little line here, that Jesus was supposed to be the son of David. People supposed that he was. Luke makes it abundantly clear that although Jesus Christ is the son of Mary by the Holy Spirit, he is not the son physically of Joseph. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Now, having said that, let's just have a little look at this lineage. And I don't want to go through it in great detail, but pick out one or two points. I want to think about the highs and the lows in this particular family line. And let's begin at the bottom. Let's begin with the, the, the low points in this particular lineage. Adam, Adam. Here he comes, verse 38. The son of Adam, the son of God. Here's the, the human source, Adam. But notice Adam is also called the son of God, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam is utterly unique. Mankind is utterly utterly unique. We are created by God. Adam, the son of God. Read the account in Genesis. Uh, God takes the dust of the earth and he forms uh, the man. He breathes the breath of life into Adam and he becomes a living being. He is body and he is soul. God then does something wonderful. He takes a rib from the side of Adam and he fashions the woman. And if Adam is dust refined, then the woman is dust uh, double uh, refined. But the real wonder is the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image. And the image is the soul that breath that God put in to man and into woman. Animals are, are wonderful. We have a dog at home. Our current dog is called a Pip, but he's just an animal. 
He has that physical uh, presence and uh, when he dies, uh, he will die. Uh, but for me and for you, we have that dimension that will always be a never dying soul. Here's the image of God that's put into us. Son of Adam, uh, son of God. And Adam there in the Garden of Eden. Oh, how, how wonderful. He had this direct relationship with God. For many people around about, we, we scratch our heads and think and we wonder, well, where have I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Adam had no such difficulties. Uh, he didn't look around and think, well, I, I've evolved from uh, that, uh, that uh, primate or over there. No, there's only him and his wife. But how wonderful, not only him and his wife, but also the very presence of God. We're told that the Lord came and walked with Adam in the garden in the cool of the evening. And here's our raison d'etre, my friends. We were made as children of God to know God. You know, we're built for relationships. You know, money never hits the spot, no matter how much you might have. Possessions and position never hit the spot. What is key to your life are your relationships. So folks you're sat with uh, now, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a good friend, maybe you're new to the church. If you are, keep coming. I hope you'll make good friends here. Because really what, uh, what fulfills us is not where we live and how much is in the bank account and what we've achieved, but our relationships. We're made for relationships Man and a wife and children and grandchildren, good neighbours, good friendships. And I hope, my friend, you find them here. And as a local church, we ought to be the most welcoming, the most kind, the most comforting folks that you could find because we ought to be a reflection of the gospel. And what a family we now belong to. But of all the relationships we have, you know, they can still let us down. They still don't fulfill. Because we were made for one supreme relationship. Husband and wife and children and grandparents and good friends are a pale reflection of son of Adam, son of God. This relationship. We were made to know him. And not just know about him, but to know him. And Adam would have been learning about God, but the first thing that struck him was God, struck him was God himself. He wouldn't know much about God at the start. But as God walked with him in the cool of the evening, in the garden of Eden, oh, it was that presence. In thy presence is fullness of joy. With you is the fountain of life. Not in the garden. Well, the garden was lovely. I wonder what it would have been like. You know, we try and tame our garden year by year and grow things and do... What would that garden have been like? Oh, the abundance in that garden. Oh, and Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. And there have been thousands. And the blessing and the glory of it all. But the most wonderful thing in Eden was the presence of God. So what went wrong? Son of Adam, son of God. Why is it that here and now, maybe you're here this morning thinking, well, I, I don't know this God. And why is it even that as Christian people we have times of shadow and darkness and, and doubt? Well, it's because something happened. You can read about it right in Genesis chapter 3. 
It's known as the fall, where sin entered into the world. It entered into the heart of Adam and of Eve. The fall. Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but of the tree in the centre, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat. Otherwise, you will die. In a sense, it's a test. Look, God has made Adam free to choose. And here's the choice. Adam, you know me. You know that I'm the fountain of life. I'm the source of your life. It's perfectly obvious you haven't evolved from that primate to, to, to you. There's you and there, there's Eve. And here, here I am and, and walking with you. But I've made you free and you can choose to stay with me, the source of life, or you can go your own way. But if you do, I warn you, you will die. Now, quite what that meant to Adam, we can't be sure. Adam is tempted, Eve is tempted by that fallen angel who used to be known as Lucifer, son of the dawn, but now he's the snake and the serpent, the devil of hell, fallen archangel. Did God really say you were not to eat? Oh, yes, God did say. We are not to eat or even touch it, otherwise we will die. You will not surely die. God just wants to keep you down. And uh, she's tempted and Adam and they eat the fruit. And what, what death comes? Well, it's not a physical death straight away. Adam goes on to live. To, do you know how old Adam was when he died? Audience participation. Anybody know offhand? 930. I mean, I'm a youngster. 65. What's that? Goodness me. Methuselah. Nine, he's in that line there. 969. Now, if you want to know more about that, ask me afterwards. There's a scientific explanation as to why we don't live quite as long as that anymore. But Adam didn't die physically straight away. He died spiritually. Going your own way has consequences. Cut off from the source of life. Oh, God is still kind, and we see that. Still provides food and water and air. You know, I love breathing. It's good to breathe, isn't it? Have you been breathing recently? It's God's air. He didn't cut it all off when Adam sinned. He could have, but he didn't. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And we're still breathing that air today. And every year the harvest comes. God could have cut it all off. He didn't. What if the harvest failed suddenly? We got enough in the grain stores to last us nine months. But you know the rich will last a lot longer and you and I won't see you hardly a scrap of that. Oh, God is still gracious. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. No, he didn't die physically for another 930 years, but the seed of decay came into his body. Certainly, I don't think he had an easy 930 years. The work became hard. Do you enjoy work? I'll tell you why you don't, because it's work. Clues in the word. Work. Work means work. Do students enjoy working? for your exams and uh, studies. No, not, not really. It's hard work, isn't it? Yeah. Work. Work is work. For Adam, work was a joy. Tending the garden, knowing more about God, but toil now has, has set in and decay has set in. I've been struggling this week with, with gout. That's why, you'll see later on, I'm wearing these 
cloggy things, all right? I couldn't get my shoes on this morning. I've hardly slept at night because it gets a lot worse at, at night. But at the moment, I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay, but still I can't get my shoes. What's, what's this? All well, the decay has set in, and there'll come a point when I will die. Adam, Adam, oh, he has a low point. He didn't die physically, but the seeds of decay are set in, but the death he experienced was the tragedy of all tragedies, cut off from the source of real life, that spiritual life, that relationship he was made for has now been severed. He's chased out the Garden of Eden and cherubim and a flaming sword are put there to guard the way to the tree of life. And he goes east of Eden. His children are born and they're born with a problem. They don't get on with each other. Eventually, Cain murders his brother. And more children are born. And uh, they would have had a lot of children, Adam and Eve, for 930 years, lots and lots of, of children. But that's spiritual death. And you know, down through the rolling thousands of years since then, we are born with the same problem of sin. Listen to these verses from Romans chapter 5. We're looking at the law point. Looking back to Adam. Therefore, Romans 5 verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. When did I sin? When did you sin? In the Garden of Eden. Adam was my representative and your representative. He was my federal head, and when he fell, I fell. And every child born is born with a default position of sinner before a holy God, that manifests itself pretty quickly when the children begin to sin and they do things wrong. And the first word a child will learn is never yes. It's always, don't, don't, don't. eat this. No. And you don't have to teach children how to be selfish. You know, they're lovely. I love children and we've got 13 grandchildren and uh, I love the children of, of the church and great great to, great to see them and, and little babies how how wonderful but you put some children together and give them one toy whose toy is it well they all think it's theirs what's the problem no the only answer to what we see in the world the universe and everything is what happened in the garden of eden here's a cogent logical explanation of the world as we see it sin entered through Adam, and death through sin. Verse 17 of Romans 5. For if by one man's offence death reigned through one man. Verse 18. Therefore as through one man's offence judgment came to all men. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. Sin is the problem. Adam sinned. He is our federal head. Now you might think, that is not fair. Why should I be blamed 
for what my forefather did those many generations ago in a garden I've never been to and that he should represent me. It's called federal headship. It operates throughout the world today. Um, America has a federal system. We've got a sort of a federal system here in Britain too. The President of the United States of America is um, Joe Biden. Was Donald Trump. Before that, Barack Obama. We can go all the way back to the first president, George Washington. But America was set up as a federal system. And here's the president. He's citizen, uh, num he's number one. The number one person in America. And he's the federal head. And if Joe Biden decides to declare war on a nation, as the federal head, every American uh, is at war. If the federal head declares peace in a situation, then there will be peace for all who are under his authority. All Americans. Federation. The federal headship. Adam. Here's our low point. What he did has brought us this difficulty and this problem. But then we have a line that moves through history. And oh, the line is an interesting one. There are some uh, interesting characters here. There are definite low points that show what happened in the Garden of Eden had terrible consequences. There's a man in verse 33 known as Perez, the son of Judah. Now, Judah. Who was Judah? Well, he was the son of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Who was Jacob? He's the son of Isaac. Who's Isaac? Well, he's the son of Abraham. So we got here Perez, who is the great-great-grandson of Father Abraham. Perez, the son of Judah. But how did Perez become the son of Judah? I just want to point this out to you, just to go over it very quickly. You can read the story in Genesis chapter 38. It's not a very nice story at all. Perez becomes the son of Judah because Judah has a relationship with a woman who he thought was a prostitute, but turns out to be his own daughter-in-law, Tamar. And you can read the sad story in Genesis chapter 38. And all I want to point out from this is simply this. Here is a godly family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. And now Perez comes along. And what happened in Genesis chapter 38 is a messy situation. We got messy lives. There's a messy family. And sin has done this. And there were messy families then, even in the godly line. There are messy families now. Maybe your family has got a messy situation. It will always be the case. But in this messy situation in the family line of Jesus Christ, God is overseeing and God is overruling. And Perez comes into the family line through a relationship that should never ever have been. What I would say, my friends, to myself and to you, never, ever despair 
of a family situation or try to second guess what God is doing. Never despair and never try to second guess. And maybe you think the mess is going on for a long time. From your perspective, yes. But God's perspective is eternal. And almost like the jigsaw puzzle. Oh, what is God doing with this piece? It's such a dark, dark piece. But it's necessary in the picture, the contrast. You don't see the light apart from the darkness. And putting the whole thing together and we get there in eternity. And stand back and look at that messy situation. What a fool I was, Lord. I didn't see it. I doubted you. I thought there was no sense in this at all. Oh, it was sin. But oh, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And where sin abounds, there does grace superabound. Perez, oh, the, the depths, the depths that are there. Let's think about some of the kindnesses that are in this story. In verse 32, uh, we learn of uh, Boaz. And we learn of uh, Obed. And Boaz has a son called Salmon. And Obed has a son called Boaz. So Boaz comes from Obed. And then from, uh, from Boaz comes Salmon. But I just want to pick this up. Boaz is the father of Salmon. No, sorry, other way around. Salmon is the father of Boaz. But do you know who... Boaz's mother was. Well, we learn from Matthew's genealogy that Boaz's mother was Rahab, the harlot of Jericho. Now, the children present or listening, just suffice to say this. Rahab made her living in Jericho by selling her body. And she became very wealthy at it because, do you know, she had an apartment in a very desirable spot in Jericho. She had an apartment in the city walls looking out at the countryside. Now, they wouldn't have been cheap. The real estate at that point in Jericho was, was very pricey, but she could afford it because of the way she made her living. Well, what hope is there for a woman like that? Take Ruth. Take Ruth. Oh, the Moabites, there she is. And she has no connection with Israel. But there's a lady and her husband, Naomi and Elimelech. And a famine takes place in Israel and they leave Israel. Maybe they should have trusted God and stayed, but they leave. And they go to Moab with their two sons, Marlon and Kilion. Elimelech dies, Marlon and Kilian marry Moabite wives, and Marlon and Kilian both die, and there's Naomi left with Orpah and Ruth. Orpah stays in Moab, but Ruth says, where you go, uh, I will go. Your God will be my God. She comes back with Naomi, and she marries Boaz, and becomes part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just suffice to say this. Grace abounding, Gentiles being drawn in. There are no hopeless cases. What hope for Rahab in Jericho and a harlot? What hope for Ruth 
A Moabitess with no contact at all with, with Israel. But God ordering situations. And these Gentiles come to faith. Oh, the laws, but the grace of God. There are great highs in the story here as well, the lineage. We have Noah, we have David, we have Abraham. And yet even with these, Noah, his drunkenness is highlighted. David, his adultery and his murder, his faithlessness. Abraham uh, lies about his wife. But here they are in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, great David's greatest son. These highlights then, these Noah and David and Abraham, they were good men. They were saints. And yet they were still sinners. However good a saint might be, we are all sinners, saved only by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think you're a hopeless case? There's hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Don't put your hope in any preacher or pastor or elder or church leader. They will let you down. Jesus Christ never, ever will. Noah, what a wonderful man. David, what a wonderful man. Abraham, what a wonderful man. Don't put your trust in them. They were sinners. Jesus alone is your Hope. Ignatius in the early church uh, said this, and uh, we're coming towards a conclusion now. Very, very true. Who's your hero? Who's your hero? Ignatius said this, let none but Christ dazzle you. If you forget everything else of this sermon, I think that's a great maxim to carry with you the rest of your life, my friend. Let none but Christ dazzle you. Who's dazzling you this morning? Who's the darling of your heart? Who do you think about? Jesus Christ alone is the one who will never let you down. I've had heroes in the Christian church who have sadly let me down. I used to uh, watch, I think there was a very, I won't even mention his name, but he's very blessed in uh, Christian apologetics, speaking at conferences around uh, the world. Uh, he'd been a... a uh, in, back in my student days, he was used in university uh, missions and even latterly, well, he, he died about two or three years ago. It was only after his death, it all came to light. The mess in his life and the illicit relationships he had been having. And uh, oh, let none but Christ dazzle you. Even fallen men can point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. God was even able to use a talking donkey to bring a prophet to his senses. Don't know what you got in the pulpit here this morning, but may only Jesus Christ dazzle you. If that's all you remember, God bless you. How good it has been to be here. Let none but Christ dazzle you. Now we come to a conclusion, because if... Adam is at one end of this uh, lineage. Oh, thank God for the fountainhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, who concludes the list. Son of uh, Joseph, so it was supposed. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he is the child of promise. 
He is the one who puts right all that happened and went so badly wrong in the Garden of Eden. God makes a promise to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3 and verse 15. I'm going to send one who will be the seed of the woman and he will crush Satan's head and Satan will strike at his heel. Jesus Christ, the snake crusher, the saviour of the world. He's the one who's going to take all the mess, all the sin that's abounded from Adam up to me and the latest child to draw breath. He takes all our sin and all our sorrows and they were poured upon him on Calvary because the wages of sin is death. But God desires that none should perish but our sin. Oh, there are many. But in God's mercy, He sent the snake crusher. He sent the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Adam, the first Adam. Mess up. He's our federal head. We get all His demerits. But God in His mercy has sent the answer. Jesus Christ, the last Adam. Now, he lived a perfect life. If I'm to get to heaven, I need a perfect life, and I haven't got one. Jesus lived it for me. And then he paid my debt to set me free. Now, if you don't like the federal headship of Adam, I hope you will absolutely love and be besotted with the federal headship of Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. You can swap the first Adam for the last Adam. Right now, you're in a mess because of the first Adam. You get all his demerits, all his fault is there. You're born with a problem called sin and therefore you sin. And that's, the world, that's why the world is like it is. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is willing to be your king and your federal head. He lived for you, he died for you, he rose again to prove it's all true. And all you need to do, in a sense, is vote for a new federal head. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Change your allegiance from Adam. Change it to Jesus Christ. Oh, Danny Dyer, he's so pleased to have had Edward III in his lineage. Well, I wouldn't give tuppence for him. He was a sinner too. When Danny Dyer gets to the judgment seat, oh, Edward III, oh, he's a sinner too. Depart from me. But if you choose Jesus Christ this morning, he's willing to have you, you know. He set a great price on you. He saw you in eternity past before you'd even fallen before you were here. Read, read Proverbs chapter 8 this afternoon. What an astonishing, gobsmacking section of Jesus Christ in eternity past looking at you and seeing your need. And so he's willing to come and become the last Adam to put right all that went wrong in the Garden of Eden. And you repent of what you are, my friend. You need to. Turn away from it and turn to Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive you. And He will. Oh, have no doubt about it. He's the God who cannot lie. Whoever comes to me, says Jesus, I will never cast away. Would He come to Him this morning? Why would you wait any longer? Why leave the building with Adam still on your back? Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes your federal head and you get all his merits. Is that fair? Well, no, but what a, what a wonderful, wonderful transaction. What a deal. Deal or no deal this morning? Do you want to keep Adam and go out with the penny? 
Or do you want to have Jesus Christ and go out with infinite riches, forgiveness of sins, peace with God, the certainty of heaven to come? That's what Jesus Christ brings. He restores the relationship. Oh, not in perfection yet. There's more to come when we will see him as he is. But there's a foretaste here. There's an appetizer here. There's a deposit here. There's a down payment. Begin the Christian life now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for an all too brief time. It goes so quickly and swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. We pray, Lord, at some point, and may it be this morning, if we haven't done it yet in our little lives, we would turn away from the mess that we have in Adam and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive all the merits, forgiveness of sins, peace with God, His perfect life to cover us. All this, a relationship restored with God, all this and heaven to come. Oh Lord, would you save some here this morning, this afternoon now, to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude with a final hymn. I forgot what I chose. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a lovely hymn, isn't it? Um, Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, where the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us His precious blood. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Let's stand and sing joyfully. <laughs>
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.